The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents No Neutrality, where we have a roundtable of contributors pushing the antithesis in every area of life. From family to government, apologetics to homeschooling, being a wife and a mother, a husband, a father, single, widow, business owner or employee, you will hear commentary, essays, lectures, blogs and battle plans on how to bring forth the Christian worldview to all of life. Well, welcome to my supper. This entire talk I do in honor of Lauren uh, DeVeda. That's not her real name, but I never have known what her real name is. But that's her Facebook name. And... Uh, she is the one who, after listening to what I said earlier, she said that she had a a shish kebab and chardonnay. Well, here we have some Fry Brother chardonnay, and here is my shish kebab, which I will uh, work on during this, because that's what I'm talking to you about, church and food. Now, if you don't know Jesus, or maybe you don't even believe that he exists, or at least as the fundamentalists think of him. Or if you do know Jesus and you do think he's God, but you kind of wonder what's going on, there is one thing about him you know that if he is worth being called God at all, sort of like what Captain America said to Loki, dude, there is a real God, I know him, and he doesn't look anything like you. You know that a real God wouldn't be into organizing everyone's faith to fit into assigned seats and set in little rows by the assigning people so that they can lecture you and reach into your pocket and call it a free gift. No way is that the right way to go. And for you, probably, it serves as one of the greatest proofs that Jesus probably isn't the real deal if these guys are following him. So if that's you, what I'm going to say here might be really interesting to you. It might not, but you can always turn it off as I go. That organization thing, you are totally agreeing with God, and you agree with a lot more of what he has to say than that. See, you live in America, so what that means is you, you know the basic Jesus story. You know the box the church has put him in, because you've probably been in a few. It's why you don't go. You probably don't know a whole lot about Jesus, but even if you do, you probably know enough to know that he didn't like boxes. Beyond that, if you have to make the church your mother in order to make God your father, you're probably going to say, screw that. That box all their boxes, damn the box makers, all of them. That's the reason I don't take God or Jesus seriously. I don't know that Jesus particularly blames you for that. Who really thinks that the reason God became a human being, born just like you, cared, hoped, lived like we do, and then was killed because people couldn't handle all the freedom and responsibility he offered, who would think they did all of that just so people could build giant feel-good fundraising organizations? On the other hand, what would you think if the reason he did all that was to change everything about you and the world that you have always wanted to see changed yourself? He knows that you're someone who simply isn't tied to the things that got us here as a culture. You aren't tied to the liberal or the conservative things. He knows you're totally an individual. But at that same time, he also knows that you belong in a family. And that makes you part of a greater whole, but still you want to be there without losing your identity in the family. He knows you're extremely ethical, even though your ethics might not include everything that was right and wrong before. You are driven by philosophical and religious integrity. 
You loathe hypocrisy. You're action-oriented. You want to do something that matters. You want to have impact. You ask the head of a company when you're interviewing for the job, what can I do to have impact here? You don't want to just go work and wash dishes or something. You want to know how dishes have to do with the, with, with the end product of what the company stands for. But you don't want just any kind of impact. You want it to change for the better, to bring life into balance for more than just you. You know, God gets that about you. You're purpose-driven. Your goals have to matter. And when you know that your goals matter, your philosophical integrity makes you unafraid to hurt or offend anyone, especially the people who are hurting others. And even worse, the people who are silent so that others can hurt others. You want to address the core of systemic evil, not just this or that evil on the periphery. And if you know anything about Jesus, and you do, that's what he wanted. You don't navigate anymore by the traditional beacons and landmarks of institutions like church or state or career with big corporations. You've been sold out by all of them, all of them, and you know that Jesus sure didn't navigate by those beacons either. You don't fit anymore into the great machine of civilization. Well, you know, Jesus was kicked out of that a long time before you came along, years ago. And that's a Jesus you would go outside the camp to join. You want to cut yourself free of almost everything that you learned in school, both liberal, conservative streams of Western civilization hammered out as right and good and true, and you're not the only one. You are part of a generation waiting to be born, and even with all the negativity you have experienced, you still believe that you will be born. It's God who made you this way for just this moment in time. I know, I know. We all have millennial jokes, the snowflake generation, but I really see something different. I don't think you're snowflakes. I think you're people who understand that leadership doesn't mean beating up on the followership. I see a God who couldn't make people like you in a church that spent the last 2,000 years becoming unrecognizable to him. So he shaped time and history to produce something that, that could get what he was talking about 2,000 years ago. He made you a part of the first generation that gets what, now get this now, Moses, Samuel, and Jesus we're talking about. That's, that's 4,000 years of history. When everyone was running around and saying, we want a king, we want a king like everyone else has. Give us a king. And Moses and Samuel tried to tell them that God wants them to have so much more than big politics, big business, big brothers, big kings with big armies and police telling them what to do, how to live and where to, even, where to sit even. But they didn't listen. So they got what they wanted. What everyone else had, a king just like the nation's. And the merry-go-round of misery kept going round and round. They couldn't get free. They only chained themselves to it every chance they had to break away. Like, like Jesus gave them a chance to break away. And as soon as he and that first generation was gone, man, boom, they were right back to picking out their biggest and the best to be their leaders. But that's not you. You aren't asking for nobody to take care of you and be a king. You are a king. That's funny. You know, that's viewed as being the arrogance of your generation. The fact is, one of Jesus' favorite boys said after he figured out what Jesus meant. It took him a few years to figure it out too, but he said that you're a nation, a excuse me, a kingdom of priests. You're a child of the king. Jesus' key men kept asking him to choose which of them would be the greatest, which of them would lead them, who's worthy. And he kept saying things like, see this child? She is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You want to be the greatest and get into God's kingdom? Then be like her. Finally, 
It was his last night before he would get betrayed and they would kill him. This was his last supper in a big old upstairs room so he could fit everyone in who needed to be there. It was a big group. You know, they only talk about the men who were there, but you know the women were there because who was going to cook the meal? Back then, that was their job, and no man, self-respecting man would think of cooking a meal. And of course, that was before babysitting was invented, so you know the kids were there too. And Jesus definitely loved having kids around. Almost everybody knows the story about when he went into the temple and saw the people changing money and everything in the temple of God. He takes a whip and he drives them out and he blocks the door. It's, it's, it's really the first sit-in in the Bible. He doesn't let anybody carry burdens in the temple. But you know who was running all through the temple shouting at the top of their lungs? Yeah, a bunch of kids shouting, Hosanna to God in the highest and stuff like that. You know, the sort of kids that you say, please, would you shut up? We're trying to listen to the sermon. You see, they were all sitting around. They were chill. Jesus was relaxing on the floor with John, his head leaning on Jesus' chest. Okay, not exactly on the floor. Back then, they all lay around on these low, one-foot-high couches to eat. Why did they eat on those couches? Because that's the way the Greeks did it. And everybody wanted to be like the Greeks. And here's the God of the universe in Israel that's set apart to be completely different, lying around with a man's head on his chest, eating supper. They were all kicking it because they'd just gotten through walking all day to get to Jerusalem. And they'd finished a good meal that was part of a Jewish celebration of how God had freed his people, Israel, from slavery. Which is why Jesus came in the first place. And that is why he wanted to focus them on the freedom he was about to bring. So here was the big moment. Freedom from slavery. And, and as he's trying to tell them about it, this, this argument breaks out in the back where couldn't hear it at first, but then it got louder and louder, and they're, they're interrupting everything and said, Jesus, you've got to choose which of us is the greatest. You see, Jesus had just been talking about getting betrayed and killed, and he used bread and wine to illustrate it. They just had a big meal. They'd had plenty of wine. They'd been eating a lot of food. I don't think it was quite like this. But it was close. It was lamb. This is beef. He said, this is the blood of the covenant God is going to make with you. Drink all of it. He said it was his blood. And he said, this is the bread of the covenant. Eat it. Because as you eat this body and drink this bread, you proclaim my death until I come. Hmm. Hope I hurry up and get through talking to you because that's good. It was desperately important for them especially though, look at it from their point of view. Here's Jesus. It's a good meal. It's good this. And then he says, I'm going to be killed. It was especially important for them, if Jesus was going to be killed, to organize an organization, a corporation, something to carry on the message. Someone had to run it. I mean, had anyone ever heard of a country or a business or a church or a religion that didn't have kings or priests? or CEOs, or elders who told everybody what to do? Did Jesus want to succeed or not? Someone's got to be the man. It's how it's done. The job sucks, but there's no way around it. Somebody's got to be the man. All history tells us that. So tell us, Jesus, which of us is the greatest? And this is what I was telling you about back in the beginning. This is why I said you agree with God about hating that organization thing. Right here. If Jesus wanted to have an organization, he wouldn't have been lying around on the floor. If Jesus was part of the machine then or now, or if Jesus was less than God, like Loki or something, he would have given them rules and bylaws to follow, little rituals to do, just so they can 
remember him or something, like he's hard to, for, to, to, to remember. But he knew that God had already given enough rules to make everyone free. The Ten Commandments. They didn't need any more. It just constipate them. The problem was not that they needed those Ten Commandments jammed down their throat, throat clogging up their bowels. They needed the Ten Commandments in their heart growing out of them to transform everything they do. Because if you go read the Ten Commandments, you'll see that that's how you get along with people. You think, thou shalt not commit adultery is some old-fashioned thing? <laughs> yeah, just go mess with somebody else's wife. You'll find out how old-fashioned God is. Not nearly as old-fashioned whoever it is that you're messing with. What they needed to do was get out of the box of needing someone to tell them what to do, that they as the disciples. The disciples needed to get out of the box of someone telling them what they to do, as if the right thing is all that hard to figure out. So at that point, Jesus blows everyone's mind so badly right then in the next Oh, words that he spoke that literally for the next 2,000 years, everyone thought he said, everyone knew he said, everyone argued to the death believing that he had said, everyone built their whole church and Christian world and religion around it as if he had said, you're right, boys, let's choose Peter and he will be the greatest. But Peter, I want you to be really humble. I want you to care about others while you run the big church machine and save people and you're serving them. We all know what that means, Peter. You're right, boys. You do need a king like the other nations. You need a priest like the other religions, a preacher like Buddha or something like that. You, you need a great military leader like Mohammed so that you can really take over the world. So we'll pick Peter and Peter, you be sure to pick the greatest to follow you and tell everyone which hand to wipe their, to which wipe themselves with and then pick someone to follow him and, 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 that's not at all what Jesus said, is it? I'll tell you what he said in a minute, and you're going to say when I tell you, I knew it! I knew it! Jesus didn't say anything like what the church has built its organizations on, namely finding the best men to run it. It's like someone flashed that men in black neuralizer thing in the eyes of everyone who came after <clears throat> that first generation of people he told this to. So no one believed in what Jesus really said only in what the Neuralizer Church Organization people said he said. Even though it's written right there, everybody reads it as if he said, Peter, we're going we're gonna to blow the doors off this world. But the guys in the upper room finally did hear what he was saying through his whole life with them. And for about 40 years, they and the original first generation church lived it that way. But after that, it was the Neuralizer thing, and the church forgot everything they had seen and heard about what Jesus said about organizing. Now, luckily, it was written down, even though they didn't have the eyes to see it. Luckily, those guys in the upper room figured it out, finally, even if it lasted only 30 or 40 years. There's still a trail to pick up if your eyes have been opened, and that is why God created and prepared you to pick that trail up. He said, now this is what Jesus actually said that I said was going to blow your mind. He said, you shall not have a king like the nations. Okay, that doesn't blow your minds. That's ex what you'd expect Jesus to say. You wouldn't expect him to say, okay, Peter, charge. Like you, Jesus understood the dead end of power-based organization and organization-based religions, which corporate religiosity has turned us all into. Like them in that upper room where they're lying around the floor, you get the fact that there not only must be, but there really is more than what we have been handed by way of religion and society and a personal relationship with God. 
You are someone who is part of a generation of people who can grasp what Jesus was talking about when he said, you shall not have a king like the nations. You get that. You're not liberal or conservative. You're your own person. Then he said next, after you shall not have a king like the nations, the rulers of the nations rule over them and their great ones love to be called the guy you have to keep in charge to tell you what to do because you can't wipe yourself without him. But it shall not be so among you. Okay, he didn't quite say that. He says they love to be called the benefactor. A guy who takes care of everything. The guy who tells you what to do. They love to be the one who is your mammy. You get that. When Jesus said that, you know he said what you've been knowing in your heart all along. You know he said, you shall not think a bigger and better box will save you. You shall not build a bigger and better organization to save you and give you meaning. You shall not need an expert to lead you around by the nose. In short, that's not what I'm all about, and that's not what your organization needs, and that's not what the world needs. You've been having that up to here since the beginning of time. I want you different. Jesus wanted his organization to be shaped by people who knew that when they were in charge, they didn't have any more authority or power to make other people do what they said to do than a child has to run the family. That's what he said. Literally, in the next verses after that, you can look it up yourself. Luke 22, start at verse 25. You can read the whole story, reading starting at the beginning of Luke chapter 25, verse 1. But, but, but the crux of it here is after he said, after he said that they are not to do it the world's way, namely picking people, that they are not to do it the world's way, namely picking people in power. He said, there are several ways that you are to exercise your power, like a child, like a servant, like the younger brother, the people who don't have the power in the family. He didn't want the people running the show to be the people who knew it all. He wanted people running things who knew enough to take care of each other. And enough to say no to all that other stuff, to serve each other, and say no to running the show, to outdo each, to outdo each other in loving kindness. What he actually said that night, right, at, right after the bit about don't do it the way everyone else does it, was the leader is to lead like the slave. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves it? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But then get this, he said, I am among you as the one who serves not the guy who's leaning on his arm at the table. He then takes a towel and goes and washes everybody's feet, says the same thing all over again. Jesus said that the greatest shall be least, not in some guru sense of like, the greatest shall be the least, the first shall be last, the up shall be down and the down shall be up, the man shall be woman, the woman shall be man. He didn't say that. He was talking specifically about the context of how authority and power is exercised in the church. That's what he was talking about. Jesus led through serving, not through institutional decree. It's not that he didn't make decrees. It's that he never created an apparatus to back those decrees up. Fact of the matter is, I think he thought hell was quite sufficient to back up his decrees. And I know you like to think that Jesus doesn't believe in hell or something like that. But frankly, what we know about hell, 95% of it is what Jesus told us. And he didn't say, I want you to make life a living hell for your followers or something like that if they don't obey me. He says, don't worry, I can take care of that. I want you to know how to disciple people, how to mentor people, how to lead people by being yourself a personal example of suffering service. Show the way. Op Jesus came to show the way to open the door for others to go in. 
And that's what he wants you to be. Somebody who shows the way, opens the door. Make the path straight so people with weak knees, the sick, the homeless, the ignorant, even the smart nerds, so that they can follow it. That's purpose, meaning, and life-changing direction. So I don't care if you think you know God or not. What would you do to be a part of a church like that? A family where you have a place, tight. But you're still you, an individual. You, with that law of God written on your heart, transformed heart, making you somebody who can, without creating a bunch of anarchy, lead and guide and govern and control your own life without having controllers handling you. It's a way of life that frees everything you touch. God's law is like that. God himself writing his law in your heart. By the way, I know it's really unpopular to talk about laws, but sometimes why don't you just go take a look at his law? I'll be talking about that in the future. Take a look at his law and ask yourself, which one of those things do you really think ties you down? What is it? Don't steal? Don't lie? What is it about God's law you don't don't rest? You don't take a look at it and say, how bad is it? See, you've been told a lot of crap about his law by people who both love God and hate God. Go read it for yourself. Now, God himself writing his law in your heart with a group of people who understand who God is and what he wants. Finally, it's a way to approach God with people like you who are transformed of all that stuff that holds you back, that holds everyone back from being who we were meant to be. The perfect being, God, who like a servant opened the door to make this happen for you. Is he not worth going through the door that he is holding for you? Is he not worth holding that door open for others? And that's what worship is. Coming to this God who came to you and planted in you that dream that it has to be better than this. It must be. There must be an organization that can free you to follow God and make a difference, but at the same time still be organized and get stuff done. God designed you to be dissatisfied until you could come and see for yourselves who Jesus really is and what he really wants, unfiltered by everyone else, standing there alone with him in the middle of everybody, just like Jesus did in the upper room, there with his friends and yet alone. Most of what he said they didn't get, and only one person, John, followed what he was saying and wrote it all down. Do you, do you realize that there are like three or four or five chapters from that upper room dinner party that only John remembered. All the rest of them forgot him. They weren't paying attention. They're having these conversations. It wasn't this solemn event like Da Vinci paints a thousand years later. This Go read the accounts. These were people who weren't paying attention because there's stuff, other stuff going on in the room. Have you ever been in a large group of friends? What do you think? Jesus had everybody... Oh, dun da dun dun da dun It's so boring to be with Jesus. No, it was, it's full of life. And here's the thing. It didn't bother Jesus. All those people sitting there in the room didn't bother Jesus. He, said, he didn't say, holy crow, you guys. If I'm God himself and you guys can't pay attention like this, what you've got to do is, is by all means, build a big building and nail the, 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 the pews to the floor, the chairs to the floor, so people have to look and pay attention to you. That's how you're going to get things done. Make everybody be silent so they really listen to you. Because if they don't listen to me, they sure as hell aren't going to listen to you. But Jesus didn't say that at all. He, he was fine with most of them missing it. He wants to organize without creating an organization that eats the meaning out of everything and so that we forget why we started this organization in the first place. 
It goes like this. You get together with everyone else who knows what Jesus is really about, and you eat together. It's, it's all around a big meal. You talk about stuff in your life and how it's going down. You sing. You listen to people say some hard things about you, maybe, and, and maybe you have some hard things to say to them, and, and, and you work it out. It's like, it's like iron sharpening iron. People help you sort through, and, and you help other people sort through. And then people who really are good at explaining things they're an alcohol. I try to talk. Man, that is good. I bet my shish kebab is better than you, Laura. Yeah, not you. Your your shish kebab. Chardonnay probably isn't. You can probably afford better Chardonnay. But then people who are really good at explaining things. You're sitting around this meal. You're eating. And you're explaining things that. Mm, I don't know. That's rude. Anyway. People are really good at explaining things. You sort of listen to them. More people pay attention to them. In fact, that's how leadership rises to the surface because they're the ones that when they're talking, you know, when E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. You're probably too young for that commercial. There's this commercial on vesting that shows a room full of talking people and then this guy starts talking and suddenly everybody stops and listens. And the commercial is when E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. Well, you know what? When people who have something to say talks in the Church of Jesus Christ, Everybody stops and listens. And if people don't think that that person has something to say, they don't listen. They don't stop. That's the difference between intentionality and creating a theater that forces everybody's attention to be on the front, whether they ought to be listening to it or not. Anyway, people who are really good at explaining things explain things in a way that, kind of like growing up, that the more you get it, the more you don't need someone explaining them to you. That's how they explain it to you, because they're in an environment where the goal is to get you like them, to, to get you somebody who can stand on your feet. You're not blown away by every wind that comes along. When, when a scary wind comes along of somebody teaching something that you think is wrong or something, you don't say, call the preacher. He knows how to answer this. You're like, oh, cool. Let's, go, let's talk. Let's talk about this. You start growing up like a kid. You can figure out what is up and down right and wrong, in and out, and you can go and do what needs to be done, what only you can do. Do you realize that's, what, that's one of the things the Bible says? It says, you have been created in Christ Jesus to walk in the good things that he has made you to do from the foundation of the world. This is what growing up to maturity means. Not, not being forever in this codependent relationship as a kid, saying, oh, please, mommy, please keep taking care of me, daddy. More and more, you become a part of a larger and larger group, making it work. And as an adult, you join your teachers in a whole new and different way, the way a child joins his parents when he grows up. You don't need the man. You don't need daddy tell you to where to sit. And everyone getting together like this is a place where you can bring everyone you meet. And they can meet people like you who are world changers. One day, one experience at a time, one person at a time. They don't come to a lecture they come to people who are really changed. Lectures might take place. They probably will take place. But there'll be things that you either want to listen to or you'll be going on to something else that God has put in your path that's more important. It's a spiritual potluck. Everybody brings something to the feast. Everybody has their gift. Who they are, what they think, how God is working, a song, whatever. And we learn to share and really listen and feast on each other. Sure, there will be times when everyone listens, but the whole room is set up not to focus on one speaker week after week as if they're the hot cheese, but to focus on...
but to focus on him who is speaking, if you want to focus on them. A lot of people say, well, you know, what's the difference between a preacher up front with fixed pews and everyone turning to listen to somebody in a church that kind of seats any way you want to? <laughs> Frankly, I don't even need to answer that for you. It's the intentionality of the act. You could look at talk and <clears throat> you could look at talk to daydream in any direction. It's 360 degrees of them. But if you turn to listen to someone, it's on purpose. You turn and pay attention. If it didn't bother Jesus for them not to listen to him at that most important meal in his life and ministry, it shouldn't change when it's just us at church in an open room eating a big meal together, remembering his death and resurrection, dealing with life together. Like I said in my first sentence to you, I think you will be interested to see how much you agree with God about and disagree with all these people who claim that their box is his box. Their pumpkin patch, his pumpkin patch. They're so sincere, Jesus got to rise out of their pumpkin patch. Now you got it so far. Hmm. You can see how being with God and people who know God is like being adopted into a new family the family that you've been looking for. The final piece is, you know that this is what you were meant for. You see what chewing does? It just slows you down. So I'm not screaming through all this material like a mile a minute, but I'm actually treating you as if you're important enough to pause, think about it, then we take a bite, and then we move on. It's Fry Brothers, and that doesn't even show up. Don't worry, God knows. It's a, it's a well-rounded, buttery Chardonnay. The final piece is, you know this is what you were meant for. A group of people with a vision, not tied together by a bunch of rules or a leader who has all the answers and solves all the problems and tells everyone what to do, but by 10 ridiculously simple laws which are written on their heart by the hand of God himself. These laws were given to Moses on a, on, 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 on a tablet of rock, and the word of those laws became flesh and dwelt among us and transformed our stony hearts to hearts of flesh so that his law could be written on them, not someone else telling you what to do, but you becoming the direction to govern your life because God has put that direction in you. Okay, you may not be there right now, but you know that there is a there where this is how it is, and that is home. It's waiting for you. You've been looking for it. It's a place where you can meet Jesus. <clears throat> Just like, <laughs> you know, one of the things the Bible says is that that meal, you, you can meet Jesus and find out for yourself at a meal that everybody eating together, taste and see that Jesus is good. That's one of the songs in the Bible. That's the way they sing it. It's a place you don't go because you have to, but because you want to. A place you can't wait. It has everything that's good about a pub and nothing that's bad about it. Uh, it's a place where you don't uh, be, it's a place where you can't wait to bring people. An experience that you, frankly, didn't believe possible. And neither will they when they come. 
It isn't induced by some sort of exercises or meditation. It's just God himself and you. And that's it. That is the church as Jesus designed it. No one really has tried it since that first generation died. Everybody's way too upset, up, uptight. But you and your generation that everyone seems to love mocking has been set up by God to recognize it and to do it. These are the first who heard what Jesus had to say. And it could be that you are that first generation who, like his followers, gets it. Because you're hearing what he said, maybe for the first time. It's been heard in, in 2,000 years. As if, excuse me, nothing about a meal. You've got to be careful. It's been heard. Maybe you're hearing it for the first time it's been heard in 2,000 years. As if you walked around with him. As if you saw him on the cross and now is listening to him as he comes out of the tomb. Not his tomb, but your tomb. Alive. And with you, so are you, dragging you out. You know him. He's the reason you're free from having to kiss everyone's back cheeks who thinks they run the church. He made you free because you can worship the one who looks you in the eye and then takes on himself everything about you that you never liked, that you were ashamed of, that you knew was not right. Shits no one else would even dream about you, and you keep buried in your heart with it. Then he dies for you, nailing it to his cross, and you are free alive. For 2,000 years, people claimed to know God, but instead traded away a free-flowing gathering around food, fellowship, worship, teaching, helping people. They traded this away for more efficient command, control, and entertain model of the Greek theater and, 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 and of pagan temples run by some international corporation, the religious industrial complex. They traded away their freedom to govern themselves with the gifts God gave them and and everyone functioning organically in the middle of the gathering, exercising the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given them. They traded it away for the security and control of top-down government. They gave that freedom and the power and the self-discipline that freedom brings when it's freedom founded on God's law in their heart. They gave all that to important people who select themselves, the leaders that are going to follow them, and keep for themselves all the power and the authority, which is your birthright, if you're bored in him. This trade was a 2,000 year tragedy. It doesn't have to be that way, and it certainly is not going to end that way. Here's the last piece I told you that you would agree with about what God has thought. Everything in a real group that knows God is not successful because they do things the right way. As if this special method of doing things guarantees the divine Coke to come out of the, the divine drink machine that God has ordained. God didn't give you a golden key, which if you would just turn it in the lock just this way, getting the ritual, the wording, the timing, the donations down, getting the people to say just the right thing at just the right time, and then shut up so that I can tell you what you need to believe, then finally we will do something that God has to bless, the right ritual, the right method. Not at all. Getting together around a meal like this with all your friends, screw that. That's not going to make you right. It's just when you're right, that's going to be what you want to do. You can't even do anything to make yourself or your relationship with him right. What kind of a God would Jesus be if he set it up that way? So that all you need to do is pull the right string and Jesus says, pops out on the jack-in-the-box saying, yes, sir, yes, sir. All you need is those laws and you would be fine. Those rules to run your little life with, to run your little church with. The church as I've just been describing it. And if you do that, you'll fail just like the religious industrial complex. All you need is the right king, the right girlfriend, the right way of doing church. No. In your heart, you know the guy who said, don't run your organization the way everyone else does in the world, 
wouldn't be telling you that there's this trick you can perform, a prayer you can pray to get his attention. And what I'm talking about here is not just a different way to worship, a different way to fellowship. It's a different way to live. A new life that you can't fake. You either experience it and can't wait to trade everything for it, or you don't have it, and you know it. And you know, I think you and your generation gets this. No spiritual laws to follow to wealth and success and eternal life, of course. You know that if Jesus didn't demand complete surrender to him, he could never free you from having to serve all those, all those people out there who want to run your life for you. It's that surrender that you are helpless to offer. Another way you know he's God, you can't impress him by praying the right kind of prayer or coming to the right kind of meeting. But when you feel him burning your chains off, you will want to find other people who are free too, with their chains burned off and the third degree burn marks to prove it. You can't wait to tell them that Jesus Christ is the man. And I think you and your generation of Xers and millennials get it long before you ever met this guy. I'm not just saying, hey, whatever you're doing out there, it's fine. I'm saying you get biblical government. You get biblical freedom. What you now need to get is see who God is. And that is why you're dissatisfied with Republicans, Democrats, Christians, and Buddhists, and Hindus, and Confucianists, and Communists, and Capitalists, and the whole pile of professional religionists, and philosophists, and politicalists, and every other ist and ism club that's out there. This freedom of worship and teaching, of fellowship and eating, does not make us the right sort of Christian, and therefore the right sort of church. It's exactly the opposite. Being God's person makes you the right sort of Christian. You long for fellowship and government that fits that freedom, the way a child on the edge of growing up longs for and is ready for independence, not from morality and not from sound judgment, not from philosophical consistency or from wise people with good things to say, but he's ready for the freedom of the liberty that morality and sound judgment brings. Jesus Christ and supplies that integrity of vision, life-changing everything, impact purpose, meaning. Did you know that literally, yes, literally, no one in church history has recommended or even tried running an organization the way Jesus said to? Running an organization without the power to force people to follow them? Did you know that the people don't want a run organization run any other way? They want that protection of the strong leader like codependent children? Not once since Jesus' first followers died, what they actually did and how they actually did it has never even been thought of as having any relevance to anything a person might conceivably do to organize worship or fellowship or helping people. And that is why you see these remnant churches out there that you've turned your back on or walked away from as an empty husk, not as the faithful few, but as all that's left of a once great vision. <clears throat> the reason for this is simple. Their hearts are not there yet. They still trust in what they can see, touch, organizing, and control through rule books. We call them the Book of Church Order. Like the various church rule, uh, the, 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 the canons, which comfort our senses that someone is in control and it will all work out if we just submit to people who, who God has placed over us, his authorities over us. Until a person grows hungry for what the Bible actually says and tears the blinders off their eyes, they will see but not perceive hear but never understand, and some are beginning to see what you see. Not something hidden, not a secret knowledge that you get initiated into, but something as plain as day on the page. It's funny, when you stop and think about it, that Jesus' way of worship and Jesus' way of freedom and self-government disappeared at the same time. 
And now that you mention it, so did Jesus' way to take care of people and bring freedom to the world. Freedom? Yes. Freedom from poverty, freedom from substance abuse, wife and husband and child abuse, freedom from political strife. Come to think of it, you know that bringing the poor in to eat with everyone else would be a first if we did it. Ever been to a church that did that? To have an organization run by those that God points out by their character instead of by some organization of leaders greasing the track for people who go to graduate school to lead and join their elite club and leading everybody else? It's time for you to step up to the plate. If you were listening to this and want to know where to find it, keep in mind I'm not working on the upper room understanding of the dynamic rule of God's kingdom so as to have a new form of government or style of worship. This time, boys, let's do it right. Government and worship technique cannot produce maturity in God's people any more than a how-to sex manual or even a stripper will give you better sex. What's necessary is for God to take hold of your life and you will transform God's people as your generation launches another spiritual revolution in world history. You know, I used to think this change would have to wait for a day further off in time so as to figure it out. <clears throat> so why figure it out now? Or if I did write such a book, if it were possible to write that book, it would be for the eyes and ears of a far off time when people could finally see and perceive and hear and understand, not today. Then I began to look at the Gen Xers and millennials and realize that you are a people who already got what no amount of upbringing and religion could give you. In fact, had you been churched, you would have stayed curled up in your little hopeless cocoon in feeding tubes while your mind wondered why the matrix was so empty. You get the fact that there not only must be more, there really is more. And I think you're a person who can grasp what Jesus was talking about when he said, the rulers of the nations rule over them and their great ones love to be called benefactor. But it shall not be so among you. The greatest shall be the least. You will lead the way Jesus led by serving, not through institutional decree. In fact, it's service, not who laid hands on you or appointed you, that gives you authority. God may maybe for the first time in history discipled outside the church your generation that only he could produce. No Christian church would even understand how to raise up a gang like yours or even imagine the freedom and true power you represent simply by breaking with the world's power religions and power players and power politics, including what Christianity has become. And I think that when you are awakened by the Holy Spirit, you will instantly grasp that there must be a way to effectively govern ourselves, our organizations, and our world that does not depend on people and authority forcing themselves on the rest of us, but rather a self-governing godliness known to those who are mature in their morals and in their judgment. It's not going to seem utopian to you, though you may know nothing about Jesus, because you see through the fraud of both top-down power organizations as well as egalitarian we-are-all-the-same-isms trying to counterfeit the upper room. The reason you don't need a king or a preacher to power-guide you is not because you don't sin or, or because you're perfect. You screw up all the time. But you will deal with your sin and the sins of others maturely like adults without a lot of bullcrap. In doing so, you will grasp the need for self-government, self-protection, self-direction, self-judgment under God. God's law that fits you together like adults into something like an organic body, able to handle and dispatch every wolf, every strange teaching that blows around, and particularly, you will reject a form of government designed by and for wolves. Duh! It's why you find the traditional church such a drag. It's been run by wolves, some of them very nice and fluffy, but still with teeth that in the end will bite the living shit out of you for the last 2,000 years. 
Why didn't someone do this sooner? I don't know. Why don't you? Thank you for listening to this episode of No Neutrality on the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network. Don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to download your favorite audiobooks and podcasts. And if you are a Christian Reconstructionist blogger and you'd like to contribute your blogs into this audio blog format, click on the volunteer link on our website, send us an email, and let us know you'd like to join the team. May Christ be glorified and His kingdom extended from sea to sea and from the rivers to the ends of the earth. Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.